Hello and welcome to the reading of Chapter 2 of Prometheus Rising, the first book of the Prometheus Dystopian Trilogy. And thanks for listening to the first episode. If you haven't, you obviously have to go back and listen to the first chapter. Um, and I just wanted in this short intro to remind you, if you're listening on any platform, be it iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify, please be sure to rate the show to comment on it if you like and also to share it with friends and all the others who like the genre if you enjoyed the reading and now without further ado let's jump into the second chapter of prometheus rising the trunk opened but it was still dark when I awoke to an absolute darkness hours before, I didn't know whether I was alive or dead. In fact, I still felt caught up in a surreal nightmare. It took me a moment to play back the memories and determine that I was stuck in the back of my own car. It smelled of tire rubber. My whole body shook from the stress, the inability to stretch or to breathe properly. I implemented breathing exercises to calm my nerves and think. At least I wasn't dead. They needed me, but what for? The thoughts made me sick. The dehydration made me want to vomit. So when the trunk door was finally opened, I swallowed the air like a man dying from thirst. My head was heavy, and I was barely able to concentrate. Strong arms pulled me out and, and led me somewhere. I could hardly see anything. The darkness was consuming. There was not one street light. Only the half-moon lit the shapes I could barely make out. But what I noticed instantly was the smell. The air smelled differently. No, it felt differently, in a way I had never experienced before. It pierced my nostrils with a vast and extravagant clarity. Maybe this strong impression was due to me being stuck in a sticky trunk for hours. But it was as if my lungs breathed for the first time. I started to blink, but could not make anything out. The ground we walked on was uneven and stony, and it occurred to me that, except for us, there was a silence that was foreign to the cities. No car sounds, no music, no voices or steps. I tried to make out more, but my mind was fading. My hands and feet were shaken, and all I was craving by now was at least some water. I had to bend my head to get into some kind of doorway. My vision was blurred and nervous sweat streamed down my face. A small oil lamp was lit. Shapes of a hut spread before me. The room was tiny, the stone walls and the wooden ground dirty. I was thrown onto the floor next to a chain that was nailed to it. Everything looked like it had been pre prepared for me already. The bearded man chained my foot. My instincts told me to escape, despite the enormous stress my body experienced throughout the day. I could not let them get away just yet. I had to get the key through the chain and the keys to my car. Please, I murmured, please, I need some water. The boys exchanged looks. The one who chained me didn't even flinch. I grew desperate. Look at him, the youngest said with the tiny glimpse of worry in his voice. He looks sick. Did I? I had to suppress an inner smile of satisfaction. The paler, the better. So what? the other boy murmured. He can peg out for all I care. 
Only now that I noticed the bruises on his face, remembered our desperate fight. The one who was apparently the leader turned again and watched me carefully. His face was, was cold as stone, but it felt like a mask, a tiny movement with his head towards the bruised boy. He disappeared reluctantly. The two others stared at me in silence. So, we haven't been properly introduced, I murmured with a weak smile. I'm Saul. The younger boy made a step forward and was smacked by the wardrobe man. Shut up. Think, Adama. There has to be a way. I needed a distraction. The boy returned with a wooden mug of water, and for a moment I was tempted to just take it and be done with it. Soak in the cold liquid that my body craved. But suddenly, a small figure sneaked into the hut through the door that has been left opened unnoticed by the kidnappers. It hid in the shadows. Maybe it was just a hallucination? I threw another look there, trying not to raise attention. Give him the water and let's be gone, a deep voice scolded in the background while I was processing. The boy evoked this feeling. Something about him struck me with such familiarity that I could not believe my eyes. His brown, full hair fell like silk down his shoulders. His eyes pierced with the dark, deep blue of a fresh spring. Maybe it was his look that surprised me the most. A usual child his age would watch the scene with fear, but his eyes were filled with curiosity and a sense of adventure, like he was watching a movie, eager to know who would win the fight. Here, a smack on the back of my head. The older boy held the mug in front of my face. His bruises stared back at me. He has learned nothing, has he? Rahab strolled through the quiet of the pitch-dark village. The paths were lit by several fires burning in the houses, but most inhabitants were already asleep as the next day would start too soon. She was reluctant to return home, so she walked amongst the black houses that stood closely together. Each house had a central hearth where a fire would keep the inhabitants warm, but there was no chimney for the smoke to escape through. Instead, it would make its way through the roof that was made with wooden rafters and covered with a thatch of turf with reed. This way the roof blackened from the inside and contributed to the strange name, Black Houses. She would have to face Caleb. He must have returned from the fields as soon as the sun had vanished. How foolish she was, hiding from her own husband. But she couldn't help it. She was avoiding the ignorance, the empty looks, the unspoken feelings. Or maybe it was just all in her head. She had also failed to clean the house and prepare proper food. Instead, she roamed the wilderness today, enjoying the sunshine, her mind busy with the hunt. Housekeeping burdened and bored her, but she knew no proper excuse to offer Caleb. He would only be frustrated with her again. Rahab passed by the clan leader's hall, situated in the middle of the village, where the inhabitants gathered for feasts or when important decisions needed to be made. Tonight, no light shone inside. There it was in the distance, her tiny little house that over the years had become a home. But that's not how it felt right now. She opened the wooden door and it made a high-pitched squeak. Before her spread a tiny room of not more than 15 square meters. The fireplace in the middle of it was still lit to keep it warm, just the necessary furniture, stone beds, a big pot on top of the fire for cooking, 
In the other corner there was something one could hardly call a kitchen, and a table to eat, some old dishes. In the far right corner there was a basin with fresh water and some soap. Caleb did not even turn. He was washing the dirty and sweaty clothes for tomorrow. Rahab looked around. Where's Samuel? Not even now did he honor her with a look. Just shrugged. I thought he was with you. No, he said he'd wait for you here. Her heart started to pound, and although she knew it was nonsense, all the terrifying thoughts started roaming her mind again. No, not him also, not Samuel. Was he here when you arrived? Rahab continued, and sensing the tremor in her voice, Caleb finally looked up. No, I told you. I thought he was with you. How rude he sounded, how irritated with her. He must have gone. Again! How long have you been home? Two hours, maybe. Two hours! And you haven't looked for him for that long. I thought, I told you I thought he was with you. Who knows where he is, what might have happened to him? Rahab started moving back and forth, trying to decide what to do, where to go first. Caleb stood up, feeling attacked. Look, don't blame me, all right? Of course not. You're never to blame. Rahab knew it wasn't about Samuel anymore. In fact, everything between them was now about this terrible decision they had to make. It was there in the back of everything they said and did. Let's... Caleb gently took her arm to calm her down, but it was just irritating, so she tore herself away. He watched her with reproach, a look she had grown accustomed to. For a second, they remained there, staring, so many unspoken things between them. Rahab's voice was calm, merely a whisper. I'll go look for him. With this, she tore herself away from the gaze and left the hut. <clears throat> my eyes stared for a moment longer before I raised my hand for the mug. Someone's in the room, I shouted then and pointed to the small boy behind them. Everybody turned around and I seized the t this tiny moment. Before the guy in front of me could react, I threw the water into his face, turned his arm around with a trained movement, snatched the gun out of his other hand and grabbed him with my arm tightly at my chest, pointing the gun at his temple. The tables had turned, and the other kidnappers watched me with a shock, trying instinctively to attack. But they backed down once they saw me threaten their companion. Tension held the room in its grip. Let me go, you bastard. My captives started wiggling wildly, so I tightened my grip, pointed the gun at the ground and shot, missing deliberately. The shot resounded in my ears. I forgot that the old guns still were this loud. The child flinched but still stared at the scene from the dark corner, making the mo no move to run. Even if he was afraid, his eyes still radiated curiosity. The room filled with quiet and tension again. Unchain me, I said. No move. Now, I shouted, angry with myself, the situation and those dumb faces. I won't even flinch to kill him, and the two of you will follow. The bearded one finally took an iron key out of his pocket and slowly made two steps towards me. The door moved. Another person entered. It was a man with a long beard and hair, most of it grey already. He was maybe around fifty, his eyes betraying a life filled with heaviness. He had a strong chest and strong legs, and was dressed in a traditional Scottish kilt. 
I only recognized those from history class and knew that some Highlanders in the outer areas were still wearing them, mostly those held in esteem by their communities. School was not for nothing then. He stared at me for a second, mesmerized. I knew this look far too well, although he instantly tried to hide it. He had trouble turning his eyes away from me, but then did, and studied the situation. I knew he was the leader, everything gave it away. The way he owned the room, how he stayed calm even in the face of me holding the gun. He gave everybody a stern look, letting them know that this time they had overestimated themselves. Adama, he said, his voice deep and strong, the very first word giving away a strange accent, right? I nodded, but how would he know my name? I'm Arthur McIan, leader of this clan. He approached me slowly. Let's look at the situ situation, shall we? Even with this gun, you will not get out of here. You're in the middle of our village. And even if by some miracle you could escape, you have nowhere to go. You do not know your way around here, even with a car. So would you let go of the lad? He was right, of course, but I wouldn't budge. Unchain me, I ordered stubbornly, and give me my car keys. And where would you go? McIan challenged me. I'll find my way around, thank you. Nothing moved. So they wanted to play this game. Fine, let's play. I'll shoot his foot first. His head will follow. The kid in the corner will be the next. My captive started to whine like a little girl. Today was surely not his day either, but his sobs gave me a feeling of satisfaction. McIan only now saw the small boy in the corner, whose eyes grew big with fear. I'll kill everyone here if necessary to get my keys, I continued. Would they buy it? Maybe if I shot in the foot now, which was easy. Adama, please, let me explain, McIan started, but I interrupted, shouting with rage. I want the keys! I know exactly where to shoot, so that he will die a slow, a painful death. Suddenly, the door flew wide open. The voice of the woman resounded inside the hut before I could recognize her shape, but I would never forget that voice. Samuel! My heart slammed against my chest. Tension shot through the air as she stared at my figure holding the gun, and I stared back. Perfect silence suddenly burdened the hut. I blinked and needed several moments to understand. This voice that had brought my heart to a standstill belonged to a woman exactly my age, with blue piercing eyes that could not be mistaken for any others. Those eyes met mine and I could feel her breath getting heavy the same second. I had not noticed how the room filled with tension, nor how the little boy was eyeing the two of us back and forth, trying to make sense of this encounter. My eyes lingered on her with pure wonder and I caught, my, caught myself questioning reality. Was it really her? She looked so different, but still the same somehow. Her posture had grown stronger and her body thinner while the tight muscles were shaping it. Her face was much older, tiny little wrinkles marking it with fatigue. Her hair was silky, falling like shimmering chocolate down her shoulders. Those eyes still hypnotized with the deep blue of a living spring. I just murmured her name to myself. Not as a question, merely a realization. Rahab. She approached slowly, drowning me in her eyes. Time stopped while a wave of every emotion that has connected us once overwhelmed me. Joy, grief, loss, much more 
I am still unable to distill and pull, put into words. Never have I seen her so mature, the tired eyes still giving away a glimpse of adventure. It belonged to her like the expressive brows, the neat nose, and those bright, rose-colored lips. Adama, her voice was a sure whisper. Silence hung in the air then, a silence that was so loaded with meaning that words could only diminish it. Suddenly, an indescribable ache filled my heart. Rahab. She was here. She was one of them. A terrorist. It was the sudden pain of betrayal that made my hands numb, and I noticed how they weakened before I could order themselves, order them otherwise. McGeehan seized the situation, and I gave in, still staring at this woman that was so familiar yet so foreign. The gun was taken from me as the, as the two kidnappers took my arms in a tight grip. My captive broke loose and eyed me with hatred, ready to beat me to death if not for McGeehan in the room. The tension fell. The little boy ran towards Rahab and she took him into her arms, relieved. I had to think twice to make the connection, but then I understood. That's why he looked so familiar. He looked exactly like his mother. Meeting her here, of all places. I felt my hands trembling slightly, but was too distracted to give it much attention. How did she get here? And why was she here? Whatever the reason, she was one of them. She was a traitor. This was not the Rahab I used to know. She had built a life for herself here, a son, a family, and was one of the outsiders, one of the terrorists. All of a sudden, I was furious. A hurt spread inside my chest, a pain that I could not explain. There was so much I wanted to ask, but all that came out was a stare into her deep blue eyes. There was movement in the room, but I could not tear myself away from those thoughts, those eyes. It made sense in a way. She had always been a rebel of sorts, never really able to find her place in this world. But this? I didn't know her anymore, and my memories started to fade as fast as they came. She was a stranger. Somehow, in this very moment, there was not much that we could say or do, and we both knew it. Little Samuel waved at me with a smile as they turned to leave, reminding me of the small Rahab I used to know. But the grown Rahab did not even dignify me with a last look. Everyone left all of a sudden, and I stood there, alone. The cold stone walls of the hut pressured me. My memories of Rahab were scarce, but most of those that remained were warming. I sometimes even dreamed of her at night, rising up from my slumber to wonder why on earth I still remembered that girl. But my last hope of escape had faded now. Everything was lost. The last four hours of sleep were denied to her. Rahab rolled around in bed, unsteady, unable to take her thoughts off the image she had seen this night. Adama, a man she had long forgotten. In fact, he had been a boy the last time she had seen him. He looked so different now. His body had grown strong and muscular. Tiny wrinkles marked his face, and his dark red curls now hung more loosely into his face. There was a radiance to him she had never noticed before. How on earth had he gotten here? Fate was an unpredictable thing. Rahab tried to calm down, get rid of those thoughts, images popping up in her mind. How he had stared at her how his arms grew weak and he suddenly released the prisoner when, he, when seeing her.
The past was too long ago, and things have changed too much now. But she couldn't forget. It's like this image had... It's like this image of his look had been burned into the back of her mind. The way his eyes inspected her carefully, the wonder in them, a trace of admiration maybe. It's been a long time since a man had looked at her this way. Maybe she was just imagining it. But it was true that her entrance had changed everything. The memories came back like a flood, and she wondered what kind of man he had become throughout the years. It was stupid, of course. She was familiar with the customs inside the cities. No long-term relationships, no commitments. It was all about the rush of adrenaline, the butterflies. This was what the city was chasing. Caleb's body next to her was warm, and he was sound asleep. She could not remember the last time he had looked at her this way. Suddenly, he felt like a stranger. Sleep was no option. I tried to analyze my situation, tried to get the image of her out of my mind and figure out a way to escape this madness. First, I had to figure out where I was. The outer areas were born over 40 years ago, allowing those who rejected the social and digital revolution to live in the wilderness. The space reserved for those who chose the wilderness were, was divided geographically into areas. The right to individual freedom, they called it, a policy that existed up to this day. But what it re really did was create a breeding ground for religious fanatics, conspiracy theorists and backward traditionalists, places that were ruled by anarchy or ancient and outdated laws. I looked around, carefully observing the hut that was lit by the oil lamp. The single room was built with stones that were held together with a sticky, muddy material. The roof was black and looked like, it looked like turf, and there was no furniture except for a stone bed softened with straw. I thought of the mattress back home and let out a deep breath. Why was I brought here, and how could I get out of here alive? My chip must have been tracked all the way to the border so that the government would know I had vanished into the outer areas. The question was whether they could track me out here, and whether they would suspect anything. The simple explanation for my disappearance would be a decision to live in the outer areas. This still happened with people. When, govern when government investigated, if they ever investigated, they could conclude that I maybe was so shocked by the events on Trafalgar Square that I blamed the government. People would leave for all the stupid reasons. So much for the right to individual freedom. If this ever happened, it would take days unless my kidnappers could, would make contact and negotiate. I stood up and walked over to a hole in the hut that I identified as a window in the half-darkness. The range of the metal chain was a meter, maybe, so I didn't move far. I, but I could look out into the open. What I saw was, was pure blackness, a sight foreign to the cities. A darkness that swallowed you, that seemed unnatural because it mocked your eyes and I saw a sky that for a moment took my breath away. Thousands of stars covered that dome over my head that had no end, sparkling, bright. The vast number of those stars was something I had never seen in my life, and it was that beauty that made me even forget for a moment the situation I was in. I was fascinated. Later, 
I tried pulling at my chain, mostly out of fury and maybe out of a stupid hope that I would cave in, that it would cave in. But McIan was right. Where would I go? I was lost in the middle of a war zone. Finally, I lay down on the straw. My eyes closed, my lungs breathed the pureness of the air surrounding me. My life was out of control. The world was a scary place for sure, but we have managed to create safety for ourselves. I never would have dreamed that my world would break like that, that I would find myself in the middle of this place I only heard about on the news, accompanied with pictures of poverty and terror. Maybe it was only a nightmare after all. The terrible explosion, the death, the kidnapping. My rage returned as I remembered the aftermath of the terror attack clearly in front of my mind's eye. If anyone here was responsible for it, they would pay. Even Rahab, even her. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the second chapter of Prometheus Rising. And I decided to do a little extra for several episodes where I'd give a short commentary on the chapter and the book itself. And if you would like to hear that, you are welcome to stay tuned and to listen to the commentary now. And if not, you're welcome to just press stop and listen to the third episode next week. So, um, what I wanted to share with you today is how this idea came to be and what fascinated me about it. Um, and what I wanted to do is combine the two things that I was really most interested at at that time, which was um, Scottish Highlands and the Scottish traditions, old Gaelic traditions, and futuristic technology, futuristic developments. And I'm a huge fan of dystopian books, all in all. I just love them. Um, it falls, the book falls into the category of fantasy science fiction, but many things I put in there were really based on facts. And I think that dystopia always comments on the society it is written in. And my intention was to have this dystopian world as a commentary to the society we live in, but also as an experiment of sorts to um, put two oppositions together, which is the wilderness and anarchy in opposition to civilization and rules. And I didn't want to um, kind of judge neither of them because I'm fascinated by both. And I think both of those things have their uh, advantages and disadvantages. And I just really wanted to put them into a position and see what would turn out out of it. I'm not claiming that this world I created could really exist in the future. Um, but I think that um, I'm commenting on several things in politics and things that I also meant, uh, met uh, in my life and in my family. Um, and I did a lot of research and I'll also in the episodes to come, I will present you with some research that is correlating to the chapter I'm reading. And please view all of that as a storytelling experiment and maybe as a political comment of sorts. But you feel free to judge as you may because this story is not just mine, it's yours because you're my reader. And today I'd like to give a short comment about the Black Houses because they're in fact a historical fact. So a Black House is a traditional type of house which is common to the Scottish Highlands, the Hebrides and Ireland. 
And uh, the buildings were generally built with double-walled dry stone walls packed with earth and were roofed with wooden rafters, covered with thatch of turf with cereal, straw or reed. And the floor was generally flax stones or packed earth. And there was, as mentioned in the book, central hearth for the fire. No chimney for the smoke to escape through, and that's why. In fact, there's this legend about the houses called black houses because of the smoke that would escape through the roof and blacken the interior. And the black house was used uh, to accommodate both livestock and people. So people lived at one end and the animals lived at the other with just a tiny partition between them. Um, and this I did to kind of, um, yeah, support the poverty and the ancient views of this area, of this outer area three in the show, in the future, in the next chapters, you'll see that there are so slightly further developed outer areas. So area, outer area three is kind of one of the poorest, um, but I don't want to give away too much actually, because there will be more in the next chapters and I hope you'll enjoy that. And please don't forget to rate, to comment on the show and to share it with friends and genre lovers if you liked it as well. See you next time.